And so as you multitask, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis. At this time, I also want to dismiss our bridge kids. Pastor Josh is waiting on you at the back and Miss Audrey. And so bridge kids, you are dismissed at this time, elementary age students, the two of you that are here, three, uh, you are dismissed to go to the back uh, with Pastor Josh to receive a lesson appropriate for your age. So we are in this sermonic series called Modern Family Vintage Values. Church, the reason this ser sermon series is important is because there has been an all-out attack on the family. The family is the bedrock of society. And Satan has, is, is determined to destroy the family. And so we have decided that it is important for us to have a biblical foundation for what it looks like to be a godly family. And so this morning, we will look at why there, are, why there are so many dysfunctional families today. One psychologist has said that a dysfunctional family is one that is not operating according to its original design. A dysfunctional family is one that is not operating according to its original design. The last couple of sermons in this series, we've looked at God's original design in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 spell out for us how God has designed the family to be forever. The Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 Describe God's ideal, God's plan, God's program for the family. No sin, no shame, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But if the truth be told, none of us in here are living in families that look like Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Why is it? that our families don't look like the family that God designed, created, and blessed in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. I'm glad you asked. Genesis chapter 3. Go with me. Genesis chapter 3 and just, just let your Bible lay open and, and we'll read it together throughout the sermon. Since you asked me the question, why do families not look like what God designed in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? Since you asked me, why is my family so dysfunctional, let me tell you why. Number one, because of the doubting of God's word. Dysfunctional families exist due to doubting God's word. Genesis chapter 3, the story opens by entering us to, introducing us to a new character, a talking snake. And this author tells us that this talking snake is more crafty than any other beast of the field. 
He's crafty. He's, he's cunning. He's deceiving. This talking snake goes to the woman that God has created called Eve. And he says to this woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman answers his question by saying, we may eat of the tree of the fruit, of, uh, or eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Here's what the snake says in, in response. You will not surely die. Even though that's what God told you, you, you won't really die. The serpent now causes the woman to doubt God's word. This doubt that she has, it's a lack of trust in God. It's a distrust of the integrity and infallibility and inerrancy of the word of God. Friends, Satan's goal is to cause every one of us this morning to doubt God's word. If you doubt God's word, then you will doubt God. And if you doubt God, then you will trust in something else or someone else besides God. Friends, the reason so many of our families are so dysfunctional is because we doubt the goodness of God's word. We say instead of, instead of leading our families according to what God has revealed in Scripture, we're going to do it the way we see best. We're going to do it the way Oprah tells us to do it, though she has no kids. We're, we're going to do it the way Dr. Phil tells us to do it. You know what? We're going to buy this book by the latest expert in parenting, and we're going to do it their way because they know better than God. We don't say that, but that's what we do with our actions. Man, church, we doubt God's word when we start doing things our way. How do I know, we're, how do I know that we doubt God's word? Children are being born out of wedlock. Marriages are failing. Husbands are not loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are not respecting their husband by following his leading. Husbands are not leading their wives as Christ would lead his church. We've succumbed to the way of the world when it comes to raising our children. We listen to the experts rather than the word of God. Friends, as long as we continue to do things our way, we will have an inordinate amount of dysfunction in our family. We have dysfunction because we doubt the goodness of God's word. We don't believe that God knows best. We don't believe that God knows what is good and what is evil. And so we don't take God's word for what it really is, his word. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired. It is God-breathed. It comes from the very mouth of God. And so instead of us looking to the book for leading the family, for raising the family, we lean on our own understanding. We doubt God's word. 
Why is there so much dysfunction in the family? Not only is it because the doubting, because we doubt God's word, but it's also because we disobey God's word. We doubt God's word, we disobey God's word. Friends, listen to me. Doubting God's word will always result in disobeying God's word. Doubting God's word will always result in disobeying God's word. This, this, this serpent says, the serpent says to this woman, you won't surely die. Doubt has crept in. And so here's what verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3 says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. She ate the fruit and then said, Ooh, this is good. You got to try this. What's the result? Their eyes are open and they knew that they were naked. Why is that detail important? Because right before chapter 3, you have verse 25 of chapter 2. And here's what chapter, verse 25 says of Genesis chapter 2. And they were naked and not ashamed. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, perfect world. God's ideal for the family. They were naked and not ashamed. Because they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't know the evil that could come about from the nakedness of man and woman. And now they've eaten the forbidden fruit. And now they know they are naked. Friends, doubt leads to disobedience. If we want to minimize the dysfunction of our families, we're going to have to learn to live according to what God has revealed in Scripture and not according to our own ways. I believe that in America, we are now living in the days as recorded in the book of Judges. Here's what the oft-repeated phrase is in the book of Judges. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Why is there so much dysfunction now in the family? Because everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. We live in an age where there, no one believes in absolute truth anymore. Well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. No more absolute truth, which means if there's no absolute truth, then God's word can't be true. And so now what we've got is everybody doing what is right 
in their own eyes. Start in the church. I, I couldn't preach these sermons in some churches today because they are so liberal theologically. If I went and preached the three sermons, well, this is the third installment of this uh, sermonic series. If I went to some series, uh, churches just a few blocks down the road, I couldn't preach about God's idea for the family as one man and one woman. Why? Because everybody is doing right in their own eyes. I don't even know if I can preach this in the bridge that men ought to be leading their homes. Because everybody want to do right in their own eyes. I'm my own woman. In the church, that's how we talk. Why? Because everybody is doing right in their own eyes. And as, as, as long as we continue to do right in our own eyes, we are going to live under the curse of God rather than the blessing of God. They disobey God. And friends, that is sin. I'm going to say that again. They disobey God and that is sin. Friends, we've gotten so used to the term sin that we just be like, mm. When you think about how holy God is, it ought to cause you to tremble when I tell you something is sin. Because you are offending a most holy God. And when you break the laws of this most holy God, you, are, you deserve eternal damnation. That's how holy God is. Even the little white lie you tell, you ought to go to hell for that. That's how holy God is. And now I say, this is sin, and you be like, oh, we'll add that to the list. When I tell you something is sin, church, we ought to tremble that we've offended and disobeyed a most holy God, our creator. Sin, for the first time, enters the scene. The result, chaos. How do we know there's chaos? What do they do? They sin. And the text says they knew that they were naked and now they are ashamed. Shame enters the picture when sin enters the picture. And so what do they do? <laughs> well, there's a fig tree. I'm going to get some of these fig leaves and I'm going to wrap myself up cover up my nakedness. And just like our forefathers, Adam and our foremother, our matriarch Eve, that's what we do when we sin. We want to cover it up. I can tell you this, Eve, we do the same thing in the church. We do ours a little more subtly in the church. What we do is, we put on this mask like we got it all together. That's the result of sin, shame. We don't want people to know that we jacked up. Which, by the way, we already know that. We know you jacked up. What else do they do once did they sin? Verse 8, the text says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They, were, they once enjoyed sweet fellowship with the Lord God. It, it was the delight of their day to spend time in the presence of God. But now, they hide from the presence of the Lord their God. This is man's response to his sinfulness. Cover, run, and hide. Instead of running to God for forgiveness and pardon, they run from him. And we still do the same thing today. Run and hide. God comes looking for, for, for them, and he says, Adam, where art thou? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is free. I won't charge you for this. Fear is a result of the fall. There is a godly fear. That's not the fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about the other kind of fear. It's a result of the fall. Remember, the lion and the lamb in Genesis 1 and 2 dwell together. We're going there one day. When our Lord will return, the lion and the lamb will be together again. But now, fear enters the picture. That's why we have to be told by the Apostle Paul that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Many times, I'm still giving you free stuff. We do things or don't do things because of fear. One of the reasons we struggle, by the way, when I preach like this, this is passion. I ain't mad at y'all. One of the reasons marriages struggle is because of lack of communication. The reason there's a lack of communication sometimes is because one or both spouses are afraid of what, how the other will react or respond. Fear. Some of us, you should be in another job, another career field, another industry right now, but you're afraid to step out. Fear. God has told you this, and he's, he's made this situation uncomfortable because he wants you to go here on faith, but you won't do it because of fear. What's the cure for fear? Here's what the Bible says, 1 John, perfect love cast out fear. Child of God, you are loved by your creator, by your father. You don't have to be afraid. He will keep you, guard you, protect you, cover you. Husband, wife, 
seriously dating? Perfect love. Cast out fear. Most things in marriage boil down to a communication issue. I got another message on communication, so I can't hang on this point too long. You think you're mad about finances. The issue is you haven't communicated about finances. Who's going to spend what? Who's going to handle the money? You think you, you're upset because of an intimacy issue. The man don't think you do it enough. The women don't think you're... Uh, the woman says, I, you're like a little rabbit. <laughs> Calm down. There's a communication issue. Because expectations have not been set up properly. It boils down to communication. How many kids we going to have? Communication. That's free. You're welcome. So they sin. God said, wait a minute. How do you know you're naked? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? What does Adam do? He says, Lord, that woman you gave me. She gave it to me and I ate it, Lord. Talk to her. So God says, Eve, what have you done? What did she do? Not me, Lord. That was that serpent. Now, God speaks to the serpent. Watch this. Why didn't he ask a question of the serpent? There's nothing in the text to say. He didn't say, serpent? Why did you do this? Why? Because the serpent acted according to his nature. And God is showing Eve and Adam, you are doing something that's unnatural. They want to shift the blame. Instead of owning, confessing, and repenting of their sins, they just want to shift the blame. And you think I'm still talking about Adam and Eve. I'm talking about us. The reason families struggle today is because we've shifted the blame. Okay. We say, I'm like this because this is the way I was brought up. We blame it on our past. And, and, and don't get me wrong, some of us have, have suffered through some horrific things in our past, and those things have to be dealt with. But at the core, our issue is a sin issue. We blame it on our community. We blame it on our lack of education. Oh, this, is, this one gets me. We blame it on our personality type. Well, you know I'm an introvert, so I ain't got to speak to nobody. You do know that God don't say if you're an extrovert, then you have to welcome one another, be hospitable to one another. He just lays it out, all blanket, be hospitable. Extrovert or introvert, be hospitable. We've got these different personality types. Well, I'm just, because my personality, uh, uh, whatever I think, that just comes out. When the Bible says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. 
But that's just my personality. What comes up comes out. That's sin. Well, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I've been offended by this person, but I just want to keep the peace. When we are told to seek peace and unity, and we offend it, when Jesus says, if your brother has a fault against you, leave your gift at the altar. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus was Baptist, because I at least take up the offering. But he says, you can't worship properly until you have reconciled with your brother. Stop trying to get all right with me and you ain't right with your brother. You ain't never saw me. We shift the blame. We blame it on everything but the sin nature that we have that's indwelling in us. I got to get out of here. The reason so much dysfunction exists in our family is because no one is willing to admit and confess their sin. There have been times when my wife and I, we've been mad at each other way too long when we could have resolved that thing in a matter of a few minutes if I would have just went to her and said, baby, I'm wrong. I should not have talked to you like that. I don't need that commentary right now. If I was going to stay out at football practice an extra hour, I at least should have texted you so you know. I've sinned against my wife. And instead of owning that, my pride gets the best of me. Well, she needs to admit, come and, and uh, she needs to come and confess her sin to me first. She needs to apologize first. Let me help you real quick. Man, I ain't going to be able to preach this message on communication. <laughs> One of the biggest problems in marriage right now, the reason, argue, the reason we argue so much and the reason argues never uh, amount to anything in a lot of our marriage is because too many of us are trying to win the argument. If there's a winner, that means somebody else is losing. When you and your spouse disagree. The goal is not to win. The goal is to understand and seek to be understood. Oh, I just helped your marriage right there. Love offering time. My wife and I, we are, my wife and I, we are hard-headed. We love, we don't like to be wrong. And early in our marriage, the reason we couldn't reconcile as quickly as we needed to is because we, we both wanted to win the argument. Listen here, I would know I was wrong, but I was going to argue my point until she shut up. Husband, wife, stop trying to win the argument and try to understand the other's viewpoint. My wife is upset with me about something. Instead of me getting defensive, try to the, remember the goal is to understand why is she upset now and find a solution to that problem rather than trying to convince her that she shouldn't be upset. 
And I'm the one who should be upset because she upset. Not the goal. Reconciliation is the goal. And you can't reconcile by trying to win. And so we must learn to confess our sin to one another. When I sin against Connie, I have to confess that and repent of it. When, when my wife sins against me, I think she does a little more than I do. But anyways, back at you. Ha, that wasn't godly, huh? Don't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Why is there so much dysfunction? Last point, because we are under the discipline of God. Sin must be dealt with. Judgment comes. God speaks to the serpent. And he says to the serpent. Now, as God doles out his judgment, he deals with the, a life function and a relationship function. Watch what I'm talking about. To the serpent, here's a life function. He said, you're going to live on your belly from now on. And you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. Here's the relationship. Verse 15. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He'll bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. The serpent and mankind used to be able to live together in peace. And God says, now y'all going to be enemies. To the woman, he says, you will now have pain and discomfort from which from uh, in childbirth. You will give birth in agony. Life function. He says, in your relationship with your husband, you will desire to control him. Be quiet, man. He says to Eve, but your husband's going to rule you. The reason you and your spouse butt heads so much is a result of the fall. Women, I'm coming to the men, don't worry. You have to be aware of this sinful desire to rebel and control your husband. You, because of your sinful nature, you are going to have an innate desire to want to be the one to be out in front leading the family. Men rule here does not mean Dictate. There was a point last week, an observation I didn't share with you. God put Adam in the garden, and he told Adam, I want you to work it. That word for work, not only does it mean worship, it means serve. He says, I want you to serve in this garden. A person who serves is a servant. Genesis 1.28, he says, you, Adam and Eve, I want you to rule. 
He gives them dominions. You are going to be a king. But in chapter 2, he says, let me show you what kind of kingdom or what kind of king you will be. You'll be a servant king. Husbands, your job is not to say, well, this is the way I want it, so this is the way it's go. That's not how God has designed it. You are to serve your wife. It's servant leadership. Where did I get this from? Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. When you talk about, when Paul says, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church, how did he love it? He by serving her. To the man, life function. He says, now your work will be in pain. All the days of your life. And he says to this man, you will return to the ground. He says, from dust you came and from dust you will return. In other words, I told you when you ate of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you would surely die. So now I'm pronouncing your death sentence. Because you disobeyed me. Friends, there is a penalty for sin. This is why our families are in so much dysfunction. We doubt God's word. We disobey God's word. And we're now living under the discipline of God. Brandon, is there any hope for this dysfunctional family? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm ready to go home after this. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. He says, God says to Eve, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, serpent, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Y'all, I'm sorry, but I got to cut across the field here because I got things to do. Here, here's what he's talking about. Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelium. Proto, first. Evangelism, gospel. This is the first gospel announcement in the Bible. Her offspring is going to bruise the head. The serpent's offspring is going to bruise the heel. You bruise my heel, you'll cripple me. Bruise the head, you'll kill me. The woman's offspring is going to kill the serpent. The serpent, all he's going to be able to do is cripple the woman's offspring at the cross. They killed him. The woman's offspring by this man by the name of Jesus. It seemed like it was a death blow and he did die. But he didn't stay dead. Because by early Sunday morning, he rose with all power in his hands. That was the heel strike. Oh, but at the cross, in one day in totality, sin, Satan, and death will all be sent to hell for good. That's the death blow, the head blow. Is there any hope for my dysfunctional family? That hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Jesus redeems. Every person of the family, the man, the woman, the boy, and the girl. And when Jesus comes into your life, he brings his spirit with him. And the Holy Spirit will empower you, husband, to love your wife as Christ loved the church 
And woman, he will, the Holy Spirit will empower you to respect your husband, to love your husband, to live under his rule and his leadership. It all takes the Holy Spirit to do that. There is hope if we start doing it God's way. And God said the only way for, this, for you guys to have a redeemed relationship is through Jesus Christ and him alone. Is there, it, did God give hope outside of this? Not only did he give this prophecy that Jesus was going to bruise the head of the serpent's offspring, but watch this. God says to, to himself, I'm almost done. I'll stop putting you to sleep. He says to himself, man and woman, they now know good and evil. And so what does God do? He says, we got to put them out of the garden. That was both judgment and grace at the same time. What do you mean, Brandon? Not only was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, but in the garden was also the tree of life. If after they had fallen and had been in this sinful condition, and eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in that sinful condition without no hope of redemption. And so what God does, he says, I got to put them out of this garden because they sin, but I also got to put them out of this garden because I don't want them to eat of the tree of life prematurely because I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die for their penalty, and he's going to be able to redeem them. And though they are sinners, I'm going to set them free through the blood of my son, so I'm going to put them out of this garden. And that's grace, church. That grace is extended to each and every one of you this morning. God models grace and his relationship to his children, to his first family. And so to you, I say, you must learn to model grace to one another. Husbands, you must show grace to your wives. Wives, we are knuckleheads and we mess up. We hear you and then forgive what you told us to do grace. Your children are products of Genesis 3. I don't, sometimes, parents hear me well, because I think we forget this. Our precious, sweet little angels are sinners. And we should not be surprised when they sin. They're going to hurt us. They're going to disappoint us. They're going to disobey us. And like God, we're going to have to discipline them, but we don't discipline them out of our anger. We discipline them because we want them to be more like him. God disciplines each and every one of his children because he wants them to be more holy. God's discipline for his children is always for their good. To those who don't trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, they're not disciplined by God, but they will be punished by God to eternal separation from him and hell for life. And so here's the invitation we offer Christ to you this morning. He will give you brand new life, new life abundantly. And all you have to do is respond by faith. There's somebody in here today, you're already trusting in Jesus Christ. How then, will, maybe you need to own some sin in your relationship. 
And you need to confess it and repent of it. It's going to have to be some hard conversations. But it's necessary conversation and healing conversation. This ain't just for married folk. It's for all of us in here who have issues with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's hope for your family. I don't care how dysfunctional it is. There is hope for your family in Jesus Christ. But you're going to have to live under the umbrella of God's way of doing it and not your way. Let's stand.